Welcome to the Startup Launchpad Podcast. I'm your host, Carl, and in each episode, we are going to unpack key insights, expert advice, and success stories to power up your startup journey. Let's make your entrepreneurial dreams a reality. Welcome to everybody, um, and thank you for being here. So today, we're going to be talking about thriving in 2024, building resilient startups in unfavorable economic times. And like I said, I'm excited to talk about this. I'm excited to be back on Twitter Spaces for another conversation. And I'm really looking forward to like a very interesting conversation. I know that we're, there's a lot to glean from it. So um, yeah, so let me introduce our speakers very quickly. I'm going to give a small introduction, um, just tell you who they are, and then I'll hand over to them to kind of tell you a bit more about themselves and what they do and give you a bit of their background. And then um, probably two to three minutes each. And then we'll get into the conversation for today. So first up, we have Henry Ukoya, Ukoha. Um, Henry is a venture partner at Expert Dojo. So Henry, great to have you on here. Looking forward to your insights. Um, next up, we have Tochi Adesonya Tochi. Um, Tochi is the founder of Live Easy. I hope I got that right because you can believe it's your Live Easy. <laughs> Tochi, you correct me. Um, is the founder of Live Easy, I believe. But anyway, it's great to have you on the conversation today. And then we have Al-Amin Idris. Um, he's the CEO of Interface Africa. Great to have you on the conversation. And last but definitely not the least, we have Leslie Emenalo. Leslie is the co-founder and CEO of CoboPay. So great to have you on, guys. Um, so I'm going to hand over to um, y'all to just um, introduce yourselves a bit and what you do, um, give us a bit of a background and we'll get started into the conversation. So, Henry, I'll start with you. Thank you, Per. Uh, hi, everyone. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm Henry, and uh, like you said, I'm a venture partner at Smart Dojo. Uh, we are your Santa Monica-based uh, venture capital firm. Uh, we invest in pre-series startups globally. Uh, we've done a little bit of our 300 investments to date, and uh, more than 20% of those investments are in Africa. So myself, I lead our, our investment for emerging markets, including Africa, Latin America, and Middle East. And um, so I'm more like an entrepreneur VC. Uh, I've been the founder myself. Uh, my fintech company just got acquired last year. And um, right now I'm doing VC full-time till I find the next problem that I, <laughs> I'm going to you know, solve for. So yeah, it's a pleasure to be here to share my two cents with everyone. And um Happy to be alongside other great speakers on the on the on the space as well. Thank you for having me. All right, great, Henry. Thank you so much. Alamin, you can go ahead. Hi, good day, good evening, everyone. Depending on the time um, zone you are in, my name is Alamin Idris, and I'm the CEO and founder of Interface Africa. Um, at Interface, we enable businesses, primarily clean energy businesses, to um, access underserved last mile markets across Africa, starting with um, Nigeria. Uh, we started with the energy sector as well. Currently, we've powered over um, 30,000 homes and small businesses across over 100 communities in Nigeria um, through our agent network, um, inside tools, and also um, payment collection channel. Um, thank you. All right. Thank you so much. And great to have you on here. And then last but not the least, um, okay, so we have Tochi back, so that's good. So Leslie, go ahead, and then we'll take Tochi. Leslie, go ahead. Okay. Um, my name is Leslie. I'm the founder and CEO of CoboPay. Uh, when we started CoboPay, we started as a value-added service company. I was providing new payment services to Nigerians. Uh, later on, we... We are currently moving to becoming a global challenger bank for the African continent, building a banking solution tailored to the needs of Africans globally. I'm excited to be here and I'm happy to contribute my experiences as an entrepreneur building in a space that is deemed to be crowded. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much. Um, great to have you on here. And we're talking about building resilient startups in unfavorable. Um, economic times and really how to thrive in 2024. And um, I think it's always to be forward looking forward, we're just like, okay, where are we coming from exactly? And I think um, 2021, 2022, even 2020 was like the hey, hey, glory days of like 
startups all over the world and especially in Africa. I think coming off the back of a lot of acquisitions and um, different companies hitting unicorn status just made Africa that place that investors were excited about um, um, investing in and pouring in funds to. Um, and then fast forward to 2023, and we have a very, very shaky, very, every time you open the news is one startup closing up one um, story or the other. And it just has been a very unsettled environment. Now, that's not to say that companies haven't been growing and building in these times, but it's just a time where like more people are while kind of having to get back to the basics and really, really trying to be like, okay, what does it take to really, really build companies, startups that are going to actually stand the test of time? Because at the end of the day, um, I think it was Henry that said it, startups in the African, especially in the African community, have been very, very pivotal in really accelerating Africa's growth because they've been able to solve problems and they've been able to do it in a very simple way to a mass market very affordably and at a very fast rate, right? So I think startups have been very, very critical to just accelerate the economic growth of Africa. And then we are now seeing like an economic downturn and it's kind of like, hey, what's going to happen? Is it are the heydays of startups over? Are we going back to basics and are we going back to where we are coming from really? And then it really just begs the first question. Like, um, I think... Um, so the first question I want to pose, let me not talk about what I think. It's not about me today. It's about hearing from speakers. So entering 2024, what do you think? And I'll throw this to Henry first, and I'll also give Alamin a chance to um, give his thoughts on it. But how can you think, thinking about um, where we're coming from and just the economic climate that we have right now, not just in Africa, around the world, we are seeing all the, close, the closing up of startups, we're seeing layoffs, all of that. There is definitely why, definitely in what they call a silent recession. But entering 2024, what do you think um, about when we're, how should we think about a startup founders or a startup people working in startups? How should we think about business models, revenue models? How, what is the way that we should think about that so that um, we can build effective, resilient startups and actually navigate and even thrive in these um, economic times. So um, basically, when we're thinking, how should we think about business models, revenue models, what's, how should our perspective change going into 2024, and what, um, how can we really build startups that last, resilient startups that would thrive in these economic times? So Henry, what are your th thoughts on that? And then I'll go to Alamin. Yeah, uh, thank you, Per. I, I mean, from the get-go, I've always been a huge fan of building lean. And I think uh, this current economic reality has even, you know, made that approach to venture building a very viable one. And so, I mean, 2024, I think what we experienced last year is still going to continue, uh, especially if you look at the macroeconomic condition uh, across, across the, the, the entire globe. Uh, this is a major, uh, we call, they call it um, a big, election year across major economies. And that is also a factor that is also you know, contributing to the pullback uh, from investors. So um, I'm expecting what we experienced uh, 2023 to stay continue as well. So yeah, it falls on, on, on businesses, startups and founders to really figure out how do we start building lean in such a way that we are as cash efficient as possible. Uh, but at the same time, we are achieving some level of growth that would also position us for uh, any potential investment out there because it's it's kind of like a chicken and egg situation where you have to grow in order to attract capital, like, <coughs> excuse me, so to speak. So, um, so yeah, I think building lean is one uh, key. We have to go back to those basics, uh, building lean. Uh, back in the days when, uh, you know, I was building my uh, early, earlier startups, I mean, I was building with the idea of, hey, what if I'm not able to, you know, secure uh, venture investing because back then I, I didn't have the network to raise funds. Like I, I didn't know anybody in the VC space, nobody to give me money to do a business. So from the get-go, it was how do I build this business to be as self-sustaining as, as possible? And I think that's something that is lacking within the African context when it comes to venture building. I see that a lot. Most founders are building for, you know, 
you know, in order to raise VCs. And, and when you look closely at the, at, in order to raise VC funds, and when you look closely at the business model, you find out that they're not even building a venture backable company that could, you know, attract venture ca capital investment. So I, I think going back to the basis of what business is, you know, being as cash efficient as possible uh, is one way to get started. And more importantly, building lean. Uh, I think there's a time to double down on what is already working on, on in the company. Uh, talk to your early, uh, talk to your customers, uh, those that are active. See what you can learn from them. Uh, see what aspect of the product that they like, and maybe double down on those. And look for you know cash efficient way of scaling the the, the business. You know, so I think these are some of the few things I can I can contribute. I'm sure. Uh, some of the folks on the panel here would also have more to say to this. All right. Thank you so much, Henry. So I like that. Getting back to the basics, building lean, just being as cash efficient as possible. Um, thanks for that. Um, Al Amin, do you have anything to add? Oh, yes. I 100% agree with Henry. Um, we need to focus more on building lean. Um, there's a concept um, called um, default alive or default dead, um, popularized by YC. And it just means simply how do you um how long can you keep running um with your current expense and your current um revenue rate which simply means okay if you don't raise any further financing uh, right now are you default dead or are you default alive so as a company we try as much as we can to stay default alive this simply means um keeping our expenses as low as we can. Of course, we are a startup. Of course, we are uh, focusing on um, high growth and we're trying to really grow really, really fast. So how do we balance that? That's something we've been struggling with. And uh, last year we arrived at um, uh, at some kind of model that that has proven to, to start working. So, um, so, so, as I mentioned, we, we, we sell solar home systems on behalf of partner companies, be it um, the little solar lamps or solar refri uh, refrigerators or solar irrigation pumps. And then we use that, uh, we do that through our, our, our agent network. So what we realize is, okay, um, there are other people or companies that have agents that are limited to just doing cash in cash out transaction how do we enable them to do more how do we leverage on their own existing structures to build out our our business further and you see um the cost of acquiring agents is quite high on our own side the cost of training onboarding and all of that and then giving them um maybe devices to help them with data collection and also um collection of payments from these customers so so we we started reaching out to businesses um on the lower end of the agent network, yeah, and and we and and the response was quite positive. And through that, we we got much higher, and started engaging businesses that have larger pools of ne of network of agents that we can leverage on and and drive our um our adoption of of of, of product across board. So um, this has taken us from as little startups as um. I don't. I wouldn't want to call any startup leaders, but we are now having that conversation with MTN. We've just closed it, and we are integrating across all their channels. So um, you can now buy our products, pay for our products on pretty much any channel um, of MTN, be it the USSD or the My MTN app, or through their uh, any of their Momo agents. So um, as uh, so keeping our in-house team lean while leveraging our resources and enabling um a while 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 enabling a, a what do you call it a win-win situation for other companies or corporations around you um is a way to really try to keep your cost low while being a high growth uh, um startup um all right thank you i mean towards the end there you were breaking a bit but i think i love what you said and um i think there's a lot of um to be gained from that and i'm actually going to circle back to that um, talking about um, collaboration and partnerships and just how effectively that can help you to keep that um, burn rate down and just to manage your resources. But I also want to hear from Leslie and Tochi what they think. I think Tochi, you are up. So let me talk, let me um, um, hear from Leslie and then Tochi will come back to you. So Leslie, you can go ahead. I think uh, all of me and we uh, mentioned the key things, right? For me, I would say this, um, 
startups need to go back to the basis. Why are you why are you starting a business? What is the reason behind starting a business? I think that is where we find most of the issues uh, that most startups face. So are you starting this business because uh, this fintech startup raised $10 million and wow, you, you, you live your nine to five and you want to do something in that space because you feel there are investors that will give you money. Or are you starting a business because you believe in that uh, business, right? Then it now boils down to um, unicorn startups versus camel startups. What, what do I mean? Um, unicorn startups are startups valued at a billion dollars and above, right? Um, uh, then this new concept of camel startups are startups that are resilient, startups that are sustainable. So when you decide the kind of startup you want to build, it drives the value around the startup. How do I grow? How do I acquire customers? How do I get my business to profitability, even if I don't get, uh, what do you call it, outside investment? And I'll use CoboPay, for example. We've been operating for a while now, and we've been uh, bootstrapping. When I tell people we are building a fintech startup that is bootstrapping, a lot of people tell me, like, how are you doing it? So the idea was, from the get-go, we told ourselves, even if, because we're building in a, uh, investors say it is a cloud, uh, crowded market, although from a founder perspective, I do not believe that there's a lot to still be done in the payment space. But that is their perception. And th- these are the people that will give you money. So you now need to find other ways to make sure that you get to a point where you can say, okay, this is what we've done with the little we have. And this is what we need to get us from point A to point B, which means you have to run a list startup. You have to start making profit from the get-go. I see a lot of startups start with um, what do you call it, freemium models, um, or where you see uh, startups saying invite a friend, get twenty dollars. That those kind of referral programs. And I always tell people, um, what you start with uh, will, will inform your consumer culture. So you see people using the referral model, and they grow say ten thousand users. And by the time they stop that, these users jump to the next startup offering that same uh, perks, right? So I always tell businesses, for you to know that you actually product market free, chat from the one. Let's know the customers that really like your product and will pay for your product. So without saying much, I think startups need to go back to the value. How do we hit profitability with little resources? How do we get the right amount of things that believe in our products and get us to a point where we can either receive outside funding to accelerate our growth or how our user, our, the, the revenues we generate from our users help us grow. So that's just all I have to say. Go back to the basics. Let, tell yourself the truth while you're building what you're building and that will inform how uh, you survive this critical uh, period. All right. Thank you so much, Leslie. I think you had some really, really great points there. And I think that's so true. Like, let's talk about revenue, right? It's not just about how many users and everything. Let's get back to revenue. What does it take to build a sustainable business? Think about if you never raise, what would that look like? Would you still be even looking to solve the problem that you're solving? Um, Yeah. So I think those are some really great points. Now, we want to hear from, is it? Yes, Tochi. Tochi is here. So I I thought he had gone back to this. So yeah, Tochi, please. Introduce yourself, your company, and then you can take a shot at the question as well. Okay, so um, live easy. Um, just like the name implies, our goal is to find ways in which we can um, uh, we can create a much more easy experience for people, right? And that is one of the reasons why we focused more on the home rental space. So what we are doing now is building an ecosystem for the home rental market, bringing both landlords, managers, and tenants into one place where we can uh, provide shared resources. Uh, So at the moment, we help tenants uh, to improve on their ease of uh, payments by providing uh, financing, right, and savings, right, uh, for tenants to be able to pay their rent monthly or save towards it flexibly, right? And for landlords and managers, we help them automate 
their management process flow, right? Uh, so they don't need to always uh, get themselves worried about the day-to-day -day paperwork, right? Uh, that can automatically be automated. Uh, so that's what we are basically doing in the market in summary. And um, so, uh, so the question at the moment, um, it's a very interesting question because uh, we have survived over four years uh, through a lot of bootstrapping and dependent on our customer base. We've not raised any major investors' uh, fund. We've basically only raised family and friends, right? And four years down the line, we are still moving. Uh, we are not moving as fast as those that have raised their $700,000 or $100,000. But every year, we, we, are we are looking back at what we have achieved and we are ensuring that what we achieved um, that current year is far better than what we did in the previous year, right? And um, what, what did we do to get here, which um, is the answer to the question that is currently being asked. Uh, one, we worked very, very lean. We have a very lean team, right? And then we found ways to partner with other people. For instance, um, we have a marketing partner. So every course that has to do with marketing, um, the partner handles it. Um, we currently started even speaking at the moment with a legal partner. And we are looking at ways in which we can, um, we can share services and benefit from each other, right? Without it uh, putting cost on the both of us um, much. At the same time, in, in place of sales, We've, I, I heard somebody, you know, speak down on the referral. I think it's about the way you go about it. For us, we found a way to build relationship with our existing customers. That in the last one year, in 2023, we were able to grow by 200% with zero, zero cost on sales because our, our Cost our members of our committee saw the value of what we are offering, right? And they decided to be a part of the group. So many of them, you know, went out there to invite their friends. You know, they were actually even the ones teaching their friends about what we do. So what we just do is we come in and explain it a little more better. But we are trying to create methods in which we try to help. Uh, some of our some of our members who are interested in going all out for us, you know, help them understand um, our ideology better, help us understand why we are doing what we are doing better, so that they can better explain uh, the products they benefit from our platform. So if we really want to survive in 2024, we must learn to find a way to bring our cost, our well, some people will call them customer. But because we are building a community, we call them members, right? We'll find a way to enlist our members as part of your growth strategy in such a way that they also understand where you are going and they want to be a part of it. And you also are finding ways in which you get them to also benefit from your platform. Because the problem we are having in Nigeria now is a whole lot of businesses are taking from their customers, their clients, but they are not finding ways to give back to the market. So you are, you are drying out the market, and then you go back to the market and discover the clients that could afford your product last year is not able to afford it this year because you've dried them out. So we are looking at strategy in which um, we make it a mutual benefit for both the company and our membership, and we've, we've come up with some very brilliant ideas to roll out this 2024, right? And we make sure that whatever we do um, is something that our client has direct benefits on. So we as businesses, we have to start thinking of a consumer-driven business in which your clients, at least a good percentage of your clients is part of the, the, the testimony that your business has is not just about your team, right? You're, you can also en engage with your customer in such a way that your customers can actually save you a whole lot of costs 
the big cost you would have spent on marketing, you would have given it a little of it to your customer and they'll be happy to help you get more customers, right? So I think when you talk about referring, you have to be very strategic about it. It's not just about giving freebies, but how can you bring in your customer through a referral system, right, to become partner in your growth? And um, for me, that's, um, that's the point I want to just stick by. All right. Thank you so much, Tochi. Great, great point. I love it. I love that you touched on partnerships as well. Like I said, I want to come back to that and actually get some um, actionable points from the speakers. But um, before we get into talking about partnerships and also the things you said about like really engineering your customers and the importance of community, which I think is really, really big for 2024. So we're going to come to that shortly. But I think before we talk about partnerships or anything, I wanted to talk about the role of leadership, right? So we're talking about, okay, this is how we need to build these businesses. We need to build it lean and all of that. And it is no stranger to us. Over the past year, we've had all sorts of stories regarding leadership and everything. So my question, um, and Henry, I'll start with you again, just because you were a founder and also now in the VC space. It's kind of like, how, well, how important is that effective leadership role, especially coming from like an investor's perspective? And also, what are those leadership qualities that are critical to even building a resilient company? Because I think um, the leadership has a lot to do with it, but I want to hear every, your perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Um, thank you. I, I would like to start from, I mean, just relative to the current um, you know, economic reality, uh, especially in, 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 in VC space and how tough it is to get access to funding. <clears throat> I think this is where um, a couple of factors, you know, play a key role in determining who's going to win in this, uh, in this condition, who's going to... The truth is, yeah, there's a shortage... Isn't, there's, no, there's no shortage of cash. People... So what we are seeing is just VCs pulling back on investments, but investments are actually going on, right? Uh, we at Espada we are currently deploying cash, uh, the first week of 2024, we already deployed $2 million into uh, two uh, African companies already. So the, the money is there. It's about who gets to get, to get the cash now. So that's the that's where the problem is. And I think leadership really plays a key role in these in these trying times uh, because this is where the true test of leadership you know, you know comes in, in play. You'll be, try, you'll be tested across different factors. And I think one of those traits that I think is important right now in this current uh, uh, condition would be your ability to find and retain talent. Uh, because the truth is, even in, 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 in this current um, uh, economic reality, let me put it this way. Um, what comes to mind to most founders or the easiest thing to do is just to retreat, you know, push back on, on, on growth. Uh, let's just smart, like play it safe. But the truth is, this is when uh, one of the best companies are formed. And uh, we've seen, you know, a lot of stories from great companies in, in the U.S. And, and, and the likes that really thrive uh, during um, uh, economic downturns, right? So the truth is, great companies are born in, in, in this current climate and leadership has a lot of role that it plays in making that happen. So your, your ability as a leader to find and retain talent is one key thing because you're going to need the best people around you to be able to hit, uh, to achieve the objectives and the goals uh, set out for the company. And uh, why it's even tough is because uh, at this period, uh, I mean, some companies might struggle to pay uh, the, the, and retain top talent. Uh, so yeah, having that quality that, I mean, despite not just money, uh, but being a leader with a vision that can be able to rally around, rally people around you and support the vision, uh, this is where it now comes to play. And I would say most, most founders uh, uh, building technology companies uh, are yet to cultivate that habit, right? So what you've seen is founders that are technically inclined and that they have no prior experience you know, building businesses and uh, prior experience in leadership positions, it becomes a problem for them. But the smart ones would learn, uh, we use this opportunity to learn how to really uh, retain and attract our quality talent. So that that's one thing I think leadership uh, can do in this case. There are other, other factors, you know, uh, being able to, you know, bring in key uh, strategic partnership as well, uh, 
and a lot of other factors that comes to play. But I think, yeah, leadership plays a big role uh, when it comes to really uh, building a resilient company. Uh, you, you need to be able to find that balance between maintaining a strong vision and growth trajectory for the company uh, with also um, really not going all out too much in such a way that you burn like you burn all your fuel before you even get to the finish line. So that's uh, the skill and leadership that needs to be cultivated in this uh, trying market. Great point, Henry. I love it. I think um, you touched on something very important because in the midst of these economic times, there's also like a talent drain, especially in African startups. And so being able to really um, to learn that skill of finding great people and also I think so key, and you said many people don't get it, but finding a way to communicate and um, pass on the vision so that it's not just you running with the vision, but a team running with the vision. And there's nothing you can't achieve when you're running with people in one direction, one mind, one accord, so to speak. So I think those are really some great points. Um, Tochi, I'd like to hear your perspective on this as well. Um, uh, Harry, very great point there. Um, leadership is actually everything in any business. The difference between uh, two businesses doing the same thing is their leadership. Um, uh, one of the most important skills I also want to add from what Harry has said uh, when it comes to retaining team, right, is um, a leader that also knows um, one, um, uh, fund management can basically manage the little funds he has or the little cash he has, right, to get the best results, right? Um, secondly, a leader that can be able to still achieve things without even uh, putting in uh, putting cash down, right, and get the best results. Uh, because at this at this particular uh, period, as Henry has said, we don't really know. Uh, we don't really know where the market is going. We don't know what the economy will be like in the next six months. So you don't want to be throwing cash around. So any leader that basically um, um, gets his grip on his cash flow and gets the best results from the little revenue he has or he can get. Um, is going to survive um, this 2024. The second thing I would like to add is um, uh, a mistake we made in our time. We were so uh, taken, taken, um, taken away by um, what we were trying to do that uh, we were believing so much that uh, because of how beautiful what we are building is good, we'll easily get investors, right? But we are getting investors telling us, oh, what you are doing is beautiful, but it's too neat. Uh, it's too. Uh, it's still very new in the market. Uh, if you can build in, then we'll come in and invest. They wanted us to grow a lot of traction based on the the market we are playing in, and then I will discover time has passed for showing investor. While we should have just found another way in generating other sources of revenue, even if it's not connected to what uh, our core objective is, right? So. A leadership should, uh, the leadership of the team currently should also start thinking of other ways you can make side revenues to be able to augment um, your operational cost. Because if you are not alive long enough for you even to be uh, discovered by an investor that gets interested in what you are doing, uh, then yeah, there's no there's no need for you to start in the first place. So businesses want to basically find ways to keep generating revenue, 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 and manage the revenues they're able to generate in such a way that it's not everything that you have to do, you throw money at, right? You find ways to be able to take leverage on other uh, resources around you, partnerships, friends, you know, um, even your your customers, like I said, uh, to get the results you are looking for uh, uh, without needing to blow out your your sm the small revenue you are able to generate. All right, thank you, thank you so much, Tochi, for those points. Um, and again, I'm just going to come back to some of the points you made, but I want to quickly circle back and go back to something we talked about, which is collaboration and community. Um, but I I know Alamin talked a bit about how the 
um, are using collaboration and partnerships. Um, but I wanted to talk up. I want to, I mean, and this is to you to talk about um, how well do people, how well can founders, especially stage founders, go about partnerships, right? To be able to um, keep those costs down, to be able to um, lev for leverage. Because again, I think there's a misconception where it's kind or not misconception, it's, there's a bit of truth to it where, oh, I'm small and it's going to be hard for me to partner with someone else. What do you think are some things that um, startup founders can do to make collaboration easier? And for any of the speakers, if you also have points, you can just let me know and I'll also call on you. So, Alamin, you can go ahead to give some thoughts. I know you talked a bit about collaboration when you spoke right. earlier. All right. So, so thank you so much. Um, as our name suggests, um, we are heavy on collaboration. And if there's one thing we do as a business, it is facilitating collaboration. So we are simply the interface between these businesses trying to enter the African market or trying to grow in the African market and these last mile markets. So on one hand, we have businesses that want to grow that, or that, uh, that just want to simply enter the African market. How do we enable them to grow? That's collaborating with them. These are our partner businesses, starting with the energy sector. So uh, so let me just use a case in point so that it just drives the whole point home. Um, when, let's say, let's say a company, our, one of our, our biggest um, partners is Esola. Esola does solar home systems, which are the small units of solar, if you remember what MTN was doing with Lumos and all that. So the similar product. So MTN, um, solar was growing, but they were not growing at the rate they wanted to. They have a lot of stock that they need to get into the market, and they and they reached out to us, you know, to partner and then and and then work with them to help um put these products out in people's homes and small businesses. So what we did is we created a model out of it to say, okay, um, how can we give um, who are the biggest um, demography of customers we have that are under cooperatives and trade unions or groups that we can easily get to. And these are farmers. So we created a model called Crop for Energy model. So we reached out to um, a startup like Thrive, which has 50,000 farmers under um, its operation, and say, Thrive, how can we sell these solar home systems we are getting from a solar to your farmers through you? Yeah? This is value to, to Thrive. Thrive farmers want irrigation pumps. Thrive farmers want um, freezers to store their products sustainably, you know, without access to the grid. And of course, they are, most of these customers they have or farmers they have are in communities that are off-grid. You know, Thrive farmers also want lights to light up their homes, you know. And Thrive as a business wants to make more money. So I said, okay, we have this and we are operating on this margin with these guys, which are our partners. And then we are operating with these guys, which are uh, our partners on this margin. Uh, so how can we share that margin with you if you give us access to your farmers? The value proposition is clear as daylight. Thrive is already offering services to these farmers. Thrive is already giving them input. They are giving them machineries. They are giving them um, pesticides. They are giving them training. So can you bundle our solar product as part of your offerings to them? And when you're collecting back your money for those services at the end of the harvest season, you collect our money as well. Clear and simple. So I believe that when you when, when your value proposition, uh, most of these businesses are not charity. I'll say all of them are not charity. So so when 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 they see the value you are offering their customers, and the value addition on their own business as well, um, I think it's something you can take home. So you see, it's an example. We started with Thrive. Thrive is heavy. It's big. They raise over $15 million. But getting on that conversation with them was easy because we are, we are, we, we, we already have something we can offer to them. And through Thrive, guess what? We got companies like MTN because the CMO of MTN happens to be a former CEO of Tribe. So if you can do that on a $15 million business, then you can do that with a billion dollar business, but long you are providing enough value. So my advice to my co-startup founders is to make your value proposition crystal clear that it will be so good, people can't simply ignore you. Oh, and you can also say, why wouldn't they jump us and then 
and and then just directly deal with these uh, with these customers, um, with these partner businesses we have directly. One is we are giving them insights on the market. Two, you have to build your own platform to do that to manage um, these models we are creating. Three, you have to uh, make your own collection points for these people. So why go through all that um, hassle when you can simply just build on our own interface, literally, and then share share the revenue with us. And if you go to the business yourself, you might not be able to negotiate the terms we negotiated with them because you are not bringing in the volume you are bringing into them because you are only bringing in your customers as a startup, let's say your Thrive customers, but we are taking them MTN, we are taking them Thrive, we, can, we are taking them, you know, access, we are taking them all these different, and we are aggregating this demand to a huge volume that we can negotiate terms better than what you can do. So um, simply put, um, make your value crystal clear, uh, make, your, um, make also the economies of scale uh, a, a proposition that you actually try to provide them um, clear that it's just simply too good to be ignored. That you can have a conversation with anyone. That's why you see InterSwitch having conversations with Visa. Visa is like a hundred times bigger than InterSwitch maybe, but, but you get me. So companies will also will always be bigger than you and companies will always be smaller than you, but you always have to find a way to balance that um, negotiation with them. Um, I love to hear um, that's your story. And just, um, I think it's very key. I think you captured it properly. Like just really, really think about your value proposition. And if you can make it a win-win for um, the both of you, you should be able to make it work. And yeah, I love your story. I think um, I love the case study. I think, we learn best when we hear what other people have done and it inspires creativity in us. So thanks for sharing. Um, so we're, wrap, we're kind of like wrapping up, but I do have a question for Leslie before I circle back. And I saw some people had their hands up and we may be able to take one or two questions at the end. But I do have a question for Leslie. And that's why I want to talk about a bit on diversification. So um, um, Tochi also touched on that a bit. But I think um, there is, um, in, in your perspective, because I think, I believe it was you who talked about starting as a value-added service and then really evolving over the past few years. And so um, in the face of like global uncertainties, from your perspective, um, when and how can um, um, startups diversify their revenue streams um, and um, mitigate risks to ensure long-term stability? And I think... um, um, Tochi also talked about touch on that a bit when he was talking. So I'd like to hear from you, Leslie, your perspective, and then if we have some time, go to Tochi, and then we'll come back, circle back to everyone. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I'll talk about it in two ways. Um, it depends on the reason why you want to diversify. First, are you diversifying because there's demand for the diversification yeah, from your users, or are you uh, diversifying your portfolio to hedge against risk, right? Uh, for the first one, which is also part of why CoboPay pushed a little bit of pilots, uh, our reason stems from both sides, actually. First one, we had a lot of demand by our users asking for X service, Y service, and we kept documenting those, uh, those requests. It got to a point where we had over, if I'm not mistaken, around 3,000 requests of a particular kind of product. Uh, so we decided to, hey, this is something we can build on top of what we are currently building. We are just, currently, we are past value added service. We could still do value added service, but build on top of it and add a proper new banking services to our users. Because a lot of our users were requesting for uh, invoicing capabilities especially people in the gig economy and all that. So that is one reason to diversify. You have a demand from your consumer base or from other people that reach out asking if you provide such services and you feel there's an untapped resources and there's an untapped revenue stream. That is one. The second thing is um, you see the dance that the Naira is dancing right now. Um, if you raise... If you raise in USD and you're reporting your revenue in Nigeria, that's a big problem for most businesses because um, the more Naira 
the values, the more you need to work harder to hit the US revenue for your investors, right? Um, also, the, the purchasing power for the Nigerian market is also shrinking. A lot of people are now focusing on their primary needs. Uh, most people are tightening the belt and you see a lot of purchasing power shrink from your user base. So for us, we decided to open up other channels where we de-risk um, certain effects in the Nigerian market by having other markets help balance out the Naira devaluation. So I think for businesses, they should look at the reason why they're diversifying, not because, um, okay, let me use, who um, will I use for example? Okay, let me use serious fintech. Not because, okay, today I'm doing bill payment services and I see that maybe uh, Money Point has been doing billions in uh, agency banking. And I say, hey, let, let me move to agency banking because of what I perceive to be where the revenue is. Uh, diversification should stem from data, it should stem, stem from demand, and it should stem from uh, proper research of your industry and what you're trying to achieve with the diversification. Let me put it that way. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much, Leslie. Great points. Um, I love that perspective. Um, so we do have to kind of wrap up. Um, if anybody has any questions, now is the time to indicate. But I do have a last question for all the speakers, right? And then an additional question um, for Henry, just to say, um, just based on this last question, I wanted you to talk on it from a um, VC investor perspective and how um, VCs view diversification and um, when the right time is to pivot and all of that. Um, but for everyone, kind of like what um, last words do you want to leave for founders who are on the call, who would listen to the call later and really are just thinking about, okay, what is the best way to position myself in 2024, to position our company, to position our team, to really win, right? And we've shared a lot of things, but what one thing do you think that we may not have shared that is going to help someone on the call? So I'll just give everybody a chance to go. And then Henry, you can also just give that perspective um, on, um, so let me actually start with you, Henry, so that you can give your perspective on diversification from an investor standpoint, and then we'll go through everybody for last words. Yeah. Okay. Uh, thank you. I think VCs have no problem with that. If it's going to ultimately impact your bottom line and, you know, uh, cause a significant change in the right direction in your revenue, uh, they would even support support you on that on that endeavor so it's something that is welcome and uh put it in our contest uh take nigeria for example with the with the whole naira devaluation uh i mean it's it's quite tough right now uh to report uh your revenue in in usd right now so you might be doing well i mean in terms of growth rates uh in the naira terms might be doing well, but once you make the conversion, it looks like you've not been hustling, right? So, uh, uh, investors are currently encouraging um, their portfolio companies right now to begin to, you know, look for ways they can sort of like hedge that FX fluctuation, uh, which would also include expanding to other markets uh, with much more stable currencies. And so, yeah, it's something uh, that has been welcomed in, in this space. Uh, VC investors are not they're not alien to that. Uh, they welcome that idea. So long as you're doing it on a basis that there's a clear um, impact it's going to have on your bottom line. And at the same time, uh, you, you're not going to be, you know, burning through cash or sustainably, you know, in order to achieve that. So it has to be, the unit economics has to make sense. Uh, the economics of everything has to make sense. And uh, say, uh, more importantly, it's going to really play a key role in really, um, you know, pushing your numbers up a bit. So um, I think uh, that's, that's that from the way VCs are looking at it, especially us at Espad Dojo. Um, and sort of like my last words or more like just an add-on to what has been discussed so far would be, yeah, it, it's quite tough right now to be building the company, but I would say it's a huge opportunity. I see it more like an opportunity. 
uh, even in the quality of the deals that I see coming my way, uh, it has drastically changed and improved. And I just wonder, so we have uh, such type of companies out there. Where have they been all this while? So what I'm, what I'm noticing in the space is we have, um, what is happening right now in the market is kind of like, uh, you know, shifting uh, startups, you know, separating the, the chaffs from, from those that really have, uh, you know, strong business fundamentals, which I, which I think is very important in this current market. So uh, I would say it's more like an opportunity, uh, even though we are in a tough situation, but it's an opportunity to really build yourself uh, as a leader. Uh, this is to startup founders. Uh, build yourself as a leader. It, see the situations you're going to be encountering as an opportunity to learn. Um, it's a different. It's different right now to be a founder in this trying market than it was in 2019, right? Let's say when you were launching a startup in 2019, it's a different uh, reality. So it's um, it's a learning curve. Like if you take the if you take it in the right in the, in the right way, uh, it's it's more like a learning curve to you know build the skill sets for troubling times because it's it's, it's more like a cycle. Like it happens. This sort of things happens every now and then. Uh, across uh, different economic cycles, right? So uh, it's more like an opportunity to really build uh, competence in those, uh, you know, uh, um, across those uh, challenges that you, you you come across, be it uh, how to find and retain talent, uh, be it how to, you know, grow your revenue even in the, in the, in the, in the midst of scarcity, uh, be it how to attract uh, capital even in the, you know, in the midst of so-called uh, uh, funding winter, like these are all opportunities to really pu push yourself as a person and really uh, try to build more confidence and, and figure out new ways to do do new things. So, and this would also position you for, you know, uh, when the market, you know, correct. So my, I think my, my, uh, the, my advice to founders would be, yeah, things are hard now, but uh, keep an eye on sustainable growth. Uh, keep costs low as possible. Try to have an extended uh, wrong way. Uh, look for cost-effective way to, uh, you know, uh, cost-effective go-to-market, uh, you know, strategies uh, that can help you uh, keep up with the pace of growth required. Because what happens is uh, it position, positions you for when the market corrects for, for to attract, uh, you know, capital. And even in, in this current market, it also positions you to, uh, you know, find and attract uh, capital as well. So, yeah, those will be my last words. And uh, thank you. It's a pleasure to to be here and uh, it's a pleasure to speak alongside the great speakers on this call. Thank you. Thank you so much, Henry. Um, thank you so much, Henry, and great perspective on the first question and your comments as well. Thanks a lot. Um, Alamin, you can go, then Leslie, then Tochi. So, yeah, I, I really believe founders should try to diversify their income, um, especially if you're not um, getting as much as sustainably um possible for you to run a profitable or sustainable business um some ways to go about it um i maybe maybe the vcs will shed more light on it is is the consulting route you know for early stage companies it's one of the best gifts you get um you get to learn while while while, while building you know um one of our earliest um partner businesses in the solar space gave us this opportunity to really experiment with different models while trying to support them so so they were they were paying upfront for services you know um they can buy uh, uh, like um they, they can they can buy license for the software or pay for sms upfront or any of these things that will help us really um try because they they can they could see the value in it and then going forward with this uh, we, uh, we we found out that okay maybe consulting might not allow us to really grow as fast as we can uh, or as we want to then we started looking at other alternatives um to diversify our income so um Every industry has those kind of opportunities. Um, for the energy space, we found it in, in, in carbon offsetting and carbon credits. You know, um, the market is still early, of course. Uh, most of the opportunities in the market are voluntary. But when you look at the voluntary market, even it's compulsory for people to, to participate in. Like the big um, companies that do most of the emissions, like the big oil and gas companies or the aviation or the automobile industry, they really have to like offset because they have committed to their investors 
you can't commit to your investor and then you you won't act on on getting to the net zero so um we started ex- exploring opportunities like um like the cop tw- uh cop 28 cop 27 were there and we were uh, in on the conversation around okay how do we um uh, uh, how do we get more funding around loss and damage communities that are more um um susceptible to climate change and all that um so you see these are all alternative sources of funding and they come most likely equity free other ways is debt you know you you can you can raise debt um vc is some kind of debt if you if you if you are looking at doing something serious with with people's money just that uh, debt you, you you are raising at maybe 25% max um, per annum, while VC is expecting at least 100% or 200 per annum if he's looking at a thousand percent in in five years. So so maybe debt might might even be more sustainable to you depending on your faith and inclination um, towards that. Um, so so be industry specific grants. Is definitely one debt is two, three is other opportunities that might slow you down, like consulting services that will present you more um, opportunities to grow. Um, then, of course, the best of the best is always revenue from your customers. Use that to 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 actually fuel your growth. Thank you. All right, thank you, Alamin. Leslie. Okay, so um, I I think um, I'll just pick up four things. Right. Uh, I would say, like I mentioned earlier, startups should focus more on being a camel startup uh, rather than a unicorn. And to achieve this, they should focus on building for uh, a resilient and sustainable business. Um, we are not saying do not focus on growth, but focus on growth that is sustaining. Then the, the second thing I'll talk about is building a strong team. In this period, you just have to find uh, a different way to attract the right thing. Uh, when I tell people how much I pay my developers, my senior developers, and people that work with me, uh, they look at me like I'm joking. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, we're strapping. So we just have to find a way to attract believers, um, people that believe in the product, uh, people that are genuinely interested in building the product with us. And not just to pay them penis, but to find another way to complement whatever is being paid. So um, as leaders, uh, as CEOs, as managers, we need to look at how best to reduce our bond rates while also giving value to the people working for us. Uh, the third thing I'll talk about is uh, the product you're building. You need to leave your mission. You need to People need to see that you believe in what you're building. You're not just building for building sake. You're not just building because uh, fintech is 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 what is raining now. You're not adding AI startups to your pitch deck because you feel uh, AI is what's going to bring revenue. You're not adding web three where web three startups to your deck because you feel that's what will attract investors. You need to provide value and show that what you're building actually makes sense, even for yourself that's pitching it. To investors, investors have a way to know startups that are just building on vibes and startups that are, are providing real value. The last point I'll make is I'll keep hammering on this, even even if people in my space don't don't like hearing this. Do not subsidize your product. At some point, it's cool to subsidize products, but you find out that when you subsidize products, you scale quite right. But at that point, you can't even calculate what's your real cost of acquisition and what these people are going to return. What's their LTV, right? What I mean is you subsidize products to grow to 10,000 users. The moment you sub- stop subsidizing that product, you see just 500 transactions on your platform. I prefer a situation where from the get-go, people know what exactly you're paying for and you attract the right kind of users. So that when you say, I have 21,000 registered users, we are seeing 20,000 monthly active users as against 500 active uh, monthly active users. So do not subsidize your product, uh, charge for what you need to charge for, 
in order to build the right consumer culture around your users and your community. Thank you. Thank you so much, um, Leslie. Thank you so much. And um, Tochi, you can go ahead. Okay, so I will just to add to what everybody has said without um, repeating. I would say, number one, um, try not to make emotional decisions. Um, that can be very dangerous at this point. You don't, I don't think you have a lot of rope to make um, uh, dangerous mistakes. So you want to ensure that your decisions you make are not based on emotion. Uh, secondly, if you have not sat down very well to understand your markets, what drives your markets, the, the real reason you are solving the problem for that market, then you need to sit back a little, uh, take the first quarter of this year and uh, properly understand the market you are dealing with because um, that helps you to make uh, better decisions for them and also to get your, your customers or prospective customers to build with you, which can help you reduce uh, the money you burn on um, go-to-market, right? Uh, thirdly, I would say seek advice. There's nothing, there's nothing as bad as seeking. In fact, seek advice from your customers. I call some of my customers sometimes and just ask them to advise me, right? And some of them are very willing to give you, a, a good number of them are willing to help me see it from their own point of view. And that helps me build, build for their purpose without needing to be doing research and testing and testing. So I spend less time and less money doing a lot of testing, right? I, I, I basically go straight to the customer. I know what he wants. And so I'm building for what he wants, right? And then. Uh, I would say lastly, be a better money manager. Um, at the beginning of this piece, um, Pell, you talked about uh, the good part where money, we are just raising money. And now at this point where a lot of business are just closing, closing, closing. Um, a good number of them is just money issues, right? And in between that money issues, if you are if you have a co-founder or you have partners you work with in your business, in your your startup, you want to basically draw a full detailed agreement on what and what happened so that as the big monies begin to come in, you don't begin to have unnecessary crisis, right, without pro a, a proper structure of what, who gets what and what happens in different situations. So we need to begin to uh, be very circumspect with the way we spend money, right, and properly deploy, deploy funds in places that gives you the best value, not because you feel it's nice to have, but that fund you are, you are giving is for you to be able to grow uh, more seeds that you can plant to start even eating from. That fund you are giving is not for you to consume at the first bit it gets to you, right? So you want to be certain that every single dollar you are giving, um, also knowing from what Henry has said and what we already know, Dollar is no longer dancing with anybody again. Dollar is on his own free dance, right? And so you want to make sure that every single dollar you are getting, you are, uh, you are, you are making 10 times on that dollar you are giving, right? Uh, aside from just trying to attract investors, also for the sake of the customers that have trusted you, right? That you will be there for a long time for them to enjoy the service you are providing. So uh, we should be more circumspect with the money we, we have at hand and use it in such a way that it gives us as much as possible, 10 times more value uh, than each dollar we spend. And uh, that brings me to finally say, I think um, in, in, in this startup space, we should start seeing a much, a, a much more needed collaborative competition. Uh, that is a competition where it, you don't find it difficult to even go to somebody doing almost closely similar to what you are doing and say, okay, I already have this product. You don't have this product. Can I lash on what you have? Are you lash on what I have? And I make money from you. So sell each other's products, right? Um, and um, when you do that, what you are basically doing is you are, you are ensuring that um, uh, each, each business 
grows and when each business has the ability to grow, um, it pays your customer well. And when your customer is doing very well, then that customer can always come back to you and purchase more, right? But um, if we are if we are after you know somebody comes to you to partner and shares idea, then you now go to the back because you have more money than him. You now decide to take that product and say it's just competition. I don't think Nigeria is ripe for that kind of destructive competition now. I think we need to we need to appreciate more collaborative competition than destructive competition. Uh, thank you. All right. Thank you so much, Tochi. I think we've gotten so much from it. I got so much value from it. Um, I hope everyone listening got so much value from it. And thank you guys for just like sharing on unreservedly. So, and it's great, great to have you here for our first um, Twitter conversation. And yeah, so that's the end. We always have these conversations every two weeks. So be sure to follow us and join us. In our we also like to always get feedback, right? So we have some pinned tweets at the top. So give us feedback on what you think. And if you have any questions, definitely ask it. We also have a pin tweet there. But yeah, thank you all so much for joining us. Thank you for um, giving us this time. And thank you once again to our speakers. Loved hearing from you guys and getting your perspectives. Um, thank you, everyone. And have a great rest of the evening. Thanks for tuning in to our podcast. If you found value in today's episode, you can find more at gotlaunchpad.com. Stay inspired, stay innovative, and keep building those dreams. Until next time. Bye.